0: Welcome, everybody. We're so happy that you're with us tonight, and uh, we are pleased to have Dr. Brian Thomas uh, with us this week. Um, he will be here tonight and tomorrow night, so I'd encourage you to come back tomorrow night at 6:30 for two more sessions with him. And um, if you have children or grandchildren, or just want to come, have a good fun. Dino Rific Time Wednesday at 6 to 8 and have a hot dog with us. Uh, come back Wednesday. We'll have our fall festival going on that night. Um, this morning, I'm the children's director here. My name is Andrea Stovall. And uh, this morning, uh, my coworker Amanda and I had the privilege of taking Dr. Thomas down to Evangel Christian School in Alabaster um, to speak to about 300 students there today. Um, on the topic that you're getting to hear tonight, and they were the most behaved 300-something students from K-5 up through 12th grade, and uh, they were so smart and attentive and asked really good questions um, and answered his questions very well, and um, he just did so well with them and shared the gospel with them and uh, told them that the Bible is God's true word and that the science does back up scripture so um, he is a research scientist at the institute for creation research in Dallas Texas and uh, we got we were lucky to have him two years ago with us at church and I was very fortunate to get him back this year I told him he was the only one I wanted back this year And they said, I don't know if his schedule will allow it. And I said, I'm sure your other scientists are great, but I only want Dr. Thomas. So uh, luckily he was free. Uh, His schedule allowed for him to come be with us. So I'd like to introduce Dr. Brian Thomas.
1: You heard her. She wants to be behaved. Attentive. I heard those adjectives for the little kids this morning. They were that, and it was great. We had a great time this morning and uh, continuing this evening. And get, I get to talk about what I'm, you know, familiar with and passionate about, and that is the science that supports Scripture. Okay, ready for dinosaur night? Yeah. Dinosaurs. Yay! <laughs> Hot diggity dog. Hot diggity dinosaur. Okay. Well, um... You know, to illustrate why this is sort of relevant for us, important for us, when I first started with the Institute for Creation Research, I was behind a, a table, a booth, at a convention, and we had this mother come up at a homeschool convention, come up to the table. She's looking at our books. She's look, she doesn't see what she's looking for. She has this concerned look on her face, and she says, my son, Johnny, is six years old, and he loves dinosaurs. But every resource I can find, books, DVDs, DVDs, they're these little discs we used to use. It shows a video when you put it in this player that we used to have. Uh, they all show millions of years and evolution, and I'm just not sure about that. I don't see millions of years in my Bible, and I don't see evolution in the Bible. I see creation according to kinds, but I'm not sure Do you have any resources for me? I want him to be curious about the world. I want him to explore God's creation. But I don't want him to doubt the Bible. I know that's true too. What do I do? Where do I go? And I said, we're going to write a book for you. Stick with us. Sign up for Acts and Facts. The book will come in the mail. And we did. And we now have those resources available for her and for everyone else. Um, And in the process of of producing that material and researching what, um, um, what I think every Christian should know about how dinosaurs really do fit into biblical history. I found these five dinosaur details that show how dinosaurs really do fit into biblical history. And they misfit. They're out of place from the long ages of evolutionary history that I used to believe in that I was taught as fact. Ready for the five details? Too bad you have to wait, because I could give you the mission statement. Mission statement. So ICR exists to uh, help you guys, help the church worship. We want to we elevate Jesus, not nature. We want to elevate Jesus as the creator in everything and in every way, not natural processes in any way. And we want to edify. So building up one another to trust in the Lord and in his scripture, and show how science backs that up. And finally, with evangelism, removing objections to the faith. When we share Christ, people say, yeah, but, yeah, but. And we want to equip Christians to be able to answer those yeah, buts, so we can get back to the real issue, which is a heart issue, which is, are you going to trust Christ for your forgiveness of sins? Well, here are the, uh, fir- here's the first of the five dinosaur details that I honestly wish I knew when I was... Ten, nine, how old are you? How old are you? Nine and a half? Oh, I was pretty close. <laughs> Ten, nine, I was right there, baby, bracketing it. Yeah, well, so I was nine and a half, and I was like, uh, I was like, I-, I don't think I should believe the Bible because there's no place for dinosaurs in the Bible. Well, here's a place here. Number one, clever design. If dinosaurs formed by natural processes, hit and miss... Helter skelter, willy nilly, that we might expect to see misshapen, out of place parts, inappropriately fitted parts. We don't see that at all. They're all shaped just right, appropriately fitted in every way. For example, here is a, and we're going to say some dinosaur names tonight, and this one's called Diplodocus, so say that Diplodocus. This is one of the sauropod dinosaurs. Sauropod, and this refers to the long neck long tail dinosaurs these things were a hundred feet long i mean you could barely fit it maybe angle to angle in this room but some of them you couldn't fit Um, so it would have absolutely filled this room Um, anyway this is on display at the denver museum of natural history and there i am standing with my camera taking a picture here taking a picture taking a third picture because you you have to back away so far to take to get the whole thing into one shot And there's a wall in the way behind me. So I had to stand there and take multiple shots. And I stitched them together. And look at the clever design in its, for example, hip. The hip. The whole body could pivot on that hip. Here's its hip, zooming in. It's in the shape of an arch, which is appropriate. You want to support all that weight. Transfer the weight of its body mass onto the pillar of its leg. It reminds me of ancient arches, like these from the Roman aqueduct in Ephesus with these arches and pillar construction, similar to what we see in the dinosaur. But, now when I see this, I look and say, natural processes, wind, erosion, ta-da, arches, right? Is that what I, no, I say? I say someone must have thought of this in advance and performed this on purpose. Now imagine if this whole bridge system with its multiple arches and pillars could pick up, and walk around and replace itself in another place. A mobile walking bridge, now that would be design of a whole nother degree. And so if I can say this is cleverly designed, then I can say with even more confidence that a mobile pillar in arch system, which we see in sauropods, was even more cleverly designed. What about these neck vertebrae? Little kids, where's your vertebra? Point to your mom's vertebra. She loves it when you point to her vertebra. Vertebra, neck, L- little backbones. You have them in your back. Um, well, these have long neck and they have tail vertebrae. Would you use concrete cinder blocks to build an airplane wing? That's the, essentially the engineering problem we have to solve. It's the problem of a cantilevered boom. A boom, you know, it's, it's an arm, it sticks out. Well, if you use concrete, what's going to happen, class? Plop. No fun. So we have to use lightweight materials. What did the Lord Jesus do when he cleverly designed this creature? Lightweight materials. He used bone material, but unlike other vertebrae like yours or other dinosaurs, um, uh, these had to be lightweight. So the other dinosaurs' vertebrae are like block-shaped. I'll show you one at the end in about 30 minutes here. These are not shaped like blocks at all. There's raised ridges, hollowed-out spaces on the outside and hollowed out on the inside, all to save weight. And the vertebrae that were up closest to its head were the lightest weight, and they were the density of foam. And he even has this tiny little head with a tiny little brain. It's all integrated. Even its brain is lightweight. Wow. And um, just like you'd expect if it was cleverly designed on purpose. So I'm thinking about creation, not evolution. I'm thinking about supernatural Not natural. Because natural processes tear down, break down. They never build anything up. You have to actually work against natural processes in order to craft something and build it up. Well, these folks at the Field Museum in Chicago, I think they thought about this. You know, it it says in Romans 1 um, that the invisible things of God are clearly seen having been made known through that which he has made. Just like when we see the aqueduct arches and pillars, clearly seen, somebody made that. In like manner, we see these vertebrae, and we say, ah, clearly seen. The designer was exquisite. Super master engineer. So these evolutionary scientists made this placard and put it on the wall, and they said this, sauropods were engineered, first Now, if I were to ask them, okay, if they were engineered, who was the engineer? What do you think they'd say? Well, they can't say God because God is holy, and we have sinful dark hearts. Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light because there wasn't enough evidence. No, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil, John 3, 12. So, because their deeds are evil, they have to say the engineer was not Jesus, the holy God who created everything. The engineer must have been nature and natural processes. Fooey. That's not defensible. That's not reasonable. But it it placates and pacifies our dark hearts. So, there may be a spiritual reason why so many in our culture uh, deny that there was a real engineer to produce this engineering that they clearly see and even put on a, on a sign. Uh, and I think of this engineering, I, I think of um, um, this uh, dinosaur egg, I'm holding a dinosaur egg, that's what I used to look like back when I was young and handsome. The, the one on the left <laughs> is what I'm talking about. Uh, this is a hadrosaur that's outside of my offices there at the Institute in Dallas. But I'm holding a dinosaur egg and I mean, imagine this. Not only, I mean, we can, we, we can make cleverly designed items like maybe uh, computers. But um, if, you, if you drop this computer and the screen breaks, will the screen repair itself? No. But if you break a bone, does it repair itself? Self-repairing machinery? Fantastic. Human engineers dream about this. What about self-reproducing machinery? What about a laptop that makes a copy of itself. Wow! That's what the dinosaurs were doing. That's what creatures do every generation. So I'm looking at this egg and I'm thinking, wow this egg, out of this egg, is gonna hatch an animal. And this animal is able to take raw ingredients from its environment and convert those ingredients into more tissues and build itself up bigger and bigger until it's an adult. And then it's gonna copy itself again. Human engineers have come nowhere close to being, close to being, close to being able to design a self-copying machine. Wow. The Lord Jesus, I think, gets the credit, and uh, Genesis said it all along, and when I started to see the clever design, I thought, I think God got it right. Genesis 1.25, and God made the beast of the earth like dinosaurs on day what? Must be day six, yeah? Day six of the creation week. God made the beast of the earth. Dinosaurs qualify. I mean, I think they should. They're pretty beastly. After his kind. We do see this according to kinds, even in the dinosaurs. We don't see morphing between kinds. It's, it's either a sauropod kind that's jacked up in the back like a Diplodocus, or like you saw, the brachiosaur jacked up in the front with two f- tall front legs with the sign that said engineering. Uh, or we see... Uh, Triceratops, you know, the ceratopsian kind with the big head frill. We'll look at some of those kinds. But we see it's either this kind or that kind, and there's only 70 basic dinosaur kinds. Hundreds of specific, like, named species, but that's because every paleontologist wants to name a new species so he can get a publication, so he can get paid. But that doesn't mean there's 300 different kinds. It's just 70 basic kinds. And so I think they, I think that's I think that summarizes the situation. What about um, the second dinosaur detail that I wish I knew when I was 9.5? Catastrophic death. Okay, pull out your hankies, because this is a sad one. Catastrophic and death. Um, here we have a. Say it after me: Camarasaurus. And then this one's on display at the Carnegie Museum. Um, Or as they say there, the Carnegie. Well, some scientists did some study. This is on display because it's just rare to have one dinosaur with almost all the bones in in place. Usually, when we do dinosaur digs, we find maybe a whole bone if you have a lucky year, or maybe uh, 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 two bones that are still uh, articulated. Okay, if you have a lucky century or or decade, but to find one of these, it's the find of uh, of a of a decade or or even of a well, one of these. It's the find of a lifetime for paleontologists. Wow. So they're looking at this and they're looking at the neck arched back, the tail arched back. And what is going on here? What's causing these creatures? Every time you have a bird, by the way, are birds buried in these same layers? Yes. Along with clams, fish, and shark teeth. Swamp creatures, sea creatures, sky creatures, land creatures, dump all in the same pile of mud that got spread across um, the whole continent, half the continent anyways. Well, here it is, and they're looking at the head. Notice how its head is sort of chin down. Do you see that? Chin down. So they were looking at this, these researchers, published in the, in the journal PLOS One, Public Library of Sciences, and um, they, they, were like, they were asking the question of themselves, is this a normal posture? Like, is this how he walked around, like, like this all the time, or not? And then they, they analyzed it and they examined it and they got into the details and they finally reached their conclusion. This is an image I took when I went there and I superimposed it on there so we could see the details of what they're looking at. They said the post-mortem dorsal flexion disarticulated the zygapophyses such that it was preserved in a pose that was unlikely attainable in life. So I said, duh. Everybody knows that. And then I pulled out my dictionary and I was like, okay, what does this really mean? Uh, and I, and, I, and, I, and I translated it into English, and it's, uh, his neck is broken. <laughs> okay. Not normal, not gradual, not lovely, not um, tranquil, but catastrophic. Well, if you listen to these guys, their National Geographic book for families on dinosaurs, which don't do it because we have a better one. It's right out in the foyer. It's called The Guide to Dinosaurs. For families, anyway, they say this Compsognathus. Now, this refers to a turkey-sized dinosaur. Compsognathus lived close to the shore of a calm lake. How do they know that? Okay, nine and a half. What's your name? Nine and a half. Kale. Like what we eat. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. Kale, there's a verb. The verb is lived. Is the verb in present tense or past tense? You got a 50-50 shot here. Past tense. Give Kale an A+. Yes. Also for his healthy diet. Kale. Past tense. Kale, I want to take you to these museums. I want to show you these books. I want you to think about these things and think... Is this past tense? If it is past tense, are they giving us observable, repeatable, measurable science? Answer, no. Are they giving us stories about the past? Were they even there? Yeah, they're giving us stories they, they don't know about because they weren't there. And then they would say, well, you weren't there either. Okay, but God was. He's been everywhere all the time. And he wrote the stuff down in the Bible, and we can rely on what he said about the past. Ta-da! Anyway, Compsognathus lived close to the shore of a calm lake. How do you know? Maybe he lived over here and he got swept over yonder. Then he died over there. You don't know. And how do you know the lake was calm? Do you have a wind meter in the Jurassic? Is that a word, wind? I'm sure there's a meteorologist going, it's not a wind meter. You're supposed to be a scientist. Windometer. Windometer. it wasn't calm. I've been to calm lakes. I was canoeing in a calm lake. Um, Where was I? Camp Jackson, Boy Scout camp. Is that in Alabama? It's close to here anyways. And uh, we were canoeing in the Tennessee River and there's a backwater area, it's got a calm spot there with lots of mud in the bottom. And the guy in front of the canoe was paddling. And he would dig his oar down into that mud and twist it and turn it because he knew that bubbles would come up. And then right about the time that the back of the canoe where I was came up over those bubbles, all these noxious, sulfurous fumes would come up and hit my nose. And he thought that was great fun. Okay, so when fish and frogs are dying, are they turning into fossils in the calm lakes today? Huh? Not at all. They're turning into sulfurous, funky fumes. They're getting scavenged, and they rot. That's what happens to creatures today in calm waters. This is storytelling, and it's a bad story because it doesn't even make sense, in my view. Okay? Well, here are some compsignathed dinosaurs. On the left from Belgium, compsignathus, and on the right from China, exact same anatomy. But since it was found in a different place, it couldn't possibly be the same creature and we get to get a publication out of this, so we're going to name it Cynosauropteryx. Say that. We're, we're struggling with Cynosauropteryx. Well, look, Kale, the calm waters of the calm lake ensured that these creatures would smash their head against their pelvis and break their nose. That's what calm waters do, right? Right. No. This is. Catastrophic, guys. This does not happen today. Rapidly buried. Smooshed, squished, squeezed, squashed. Splat. What about this dinosaur? I found this. Um, and the caption that describes it at, at, at uh, Bozeman, uh, in, in Bozeman at um, Montana State. And there it is. And it says, an agonizing death. And I thought, yay, you got it right. It was agonizing. It was not calm. It was not placid. And so finally, we get to hear the correct story, and it said, this dinosaur has its neck arched back because it was choking. And I thought, yes, you got it right, it was choking. And then they say, read the fine print right there in the placard, and it says, it was probably choking because a predatory dinosaur was clamped on its neck. Do you see a predatory dinosaur clamped on its neck? No, but I see lots of mud. I think he was choking on the mud that turned into stone. By the way, how long does it take mud to turn into stone? Who remembers May 18th, 1980, Mount St. Helens? Eruption, I remember. Now, most of you should remember, but you're not raising your hands. I don't appreciate that. I remember turning the TV channel. We had a zenith with a big clunk, clunk, clunk. We had like five channels. And every single channel was a reporter with, you could barely see him because there was all this ash. Here we are at Mount St. Helens and you can barely see me because of all the ash. And I'm like, I don't care, I want cartoons, clunk, clunk. No cartoons, that's another reporter. Well, what happened there? The north slope, of the north peak of the, vol- of the uh, volcanic mountain slid off. Okay, vol- uh, um, earthquake, shook it loose. And then a whole bunch of molten and hot steam material blasted out, pulverized the north slope and the next one, and deposited 400 feet of new land in that valley, the north side of Mount St. Helens. Two years later, which would be what year, class? 1982. We had another. Now we've got a crater at the mountaintop, and it had, it had grown a, a, um, ice, had, had, um, had accumulated up there. Well, that ice, due to a second eruption, or third, actually, melted, and then all that newly accumulated ice in that little glacier that had formed in two years melted and carved a new valley through the mud that had just been deposited two years earlier. And guess what? You can go there today and look at the mud that was deposited in 1980 and carved in 1982, and the mud is still sedimentary rock. It doesn't take time to turn it into stone. You just need a lot of water and a lot of mud So, boom, this guy was covered in mud, catastrophically. That's what best explains him, I think. Well, let's go back to the Field Museum in Chicago and look at the most famous dinosaur, T. rex. This one's nicknamed Sue, named after the discoverer Sue Hendrickson. Not because Sue was a female, we don't know what gender it was. Now, on the left, you see its reconstruction in life position, and on the right, you see the actual head that they excavated and cleaned. And there it is in a glass box to be uh, I mean, uh, examined. And there are two people looking at a placard that's about... I'm about to show you what they're reading with a straight face, which baffles me. Now, why are they reading a placard? What's to say about Sue? Notice the difference between the noses. Do you see the difference? Just nod or something. Do you notice the difference between the noses? Even the back row, F students, A students, B. You're the new A students back there. Yes, you see... There's a difference in the nose. Well, here's what it says. Crushed nose. Ah, yes, do tell. When Sue was found, her pelvis, that's this part, was resting on top of her snout. Boom, that's this part. Though it may sound odd, why, yes, it does. Discovering a theropod dinosaur in this death pose is surprisingly common. Well, that means it's even more odd because it doesn't happen in any animal today and yet it happened in all these animals in the past. Wow. This pose may be caused by, what does it say? Muscle spasms. <laughs> muscle spasms, because every time I have a muscle spasm, you know, it causes my pelvis to crush my nose, <laughs> and I and I have to you know dab it with a hanky, and then I have to go to visit the chiropractor. Hate it when that happens. And I'm laughing out loud in the middle of this museum, and the two people, we've traded places. They're on the other side of this uh, skull, and I'm like. Did you read this this, this crushed nose? And they're just like, honey, back away. Back away from the crazy man. They backed away. Don't back away. Read it. I'm not the crazy one to read this stuff. But I'm looking at these T-Rexes and other dinosaurs, and I'm thinking they were meat machines, meat bulldozers, six and a half tons of go anywhere I want to. And they couldn't get out of the way of the mud. The mud was moving faster than they could run or swim or fly, which they couldn't do, I don't think. And it buried them too deeply for them to dig themselves out. Catastrophic, watery burial. And these dinosaurs are all over the world. Every continent has dinosaur fossils mixed with clams, swamp sea creatures mixed together, buried in rock layers that go for hundreds of square miles catastrophic death is what we would expect to see if this bible is right the bible is saying here in genesis 7 and the waters of noah's flood prevailed exceedingly on the earth and all the high hills of the whole heaven were covered now these are the high hills of the pre-flood world they weren't as high as the rocky mountains not near as high as the himalayans those were formed because of the flood by the flood during the flood year questions about that i'm not just making up these comments we have 50 years of research to back this up, and we have resources that explain our reasoning on that. So the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed and all flesh died that moved on the earth. No wonder we have fossils all over the earth and we don't have them forming today. Happened everywhere in the past. Happens nowhere today. Same as Noah's flood. Creation fits the clever design. The flood fits the catastrophic death. So dinosaurs may have gone on Noah's ark, 70 dinosaurs, um, 140 because you have to have male and female, they would fit in one corner of one of the three decks of Noah's Ark. No problem. What about the sauropods, the 100 feet long one? How would that fit on Noah's Ark? Well, they all came from an egg the size of a football. And you don't have to bring the granddaddy on. Okay? Bring a teenager on. He's only 10, 20, 30 feet. He'll fit fine on Noah's Ark. Uh, so no problem at all. So we come to our third dinosaur detail that I wish I knew that puts dinosaurs in their place and in the perspective of the Bible, clashes with dragons. And we're gonna take our attention from fossils to archeology, span looking at what some of our ancestors, in fact, all of our ancestors wrote about or depicted. Um, Almost every people group has um, a a record, uh, either written or oral or in art, of clashes with dragons. What were they talking about? What, where did they get this word dragons? Well, here we have um, an Rook. This is from um, the Middle East. From S- the Bible calls Samaria. And this is a cylinder seal. Very old, 3000 B.C. is the conventional age for it. I think that's a little bit off, but anyways... It's a little drum about this tall. This one's displayed at the Louvre in Paris. They would take it, put it on a stick, and roll it across a piece of clay, bake the clay, and you have this instant design there. Uh, And what's it showing? It's showing birds, okay? And then it's showing these creatures with legs that go straight down, and then long necks that intertwine. And um, so it reminds me of the possibility that maybe they were looking at actual animals here that looked like this. And of course, there aren't any alive today, but that doesn't mean there weren't any alive thousands of years ago after the flood. Um, Speaking of legs straight down, what differentiates dinosaur reptiles from today's living reptiles? I'll give you a clue. Dinosaurs legs went straight down. So what distinguishes between them? Well, that's right, dinosaur legs went straight down, very good. Yeah. Uh, so today's reptiles, whether it's a crocodile, a turtle, or a lizard, their legs go out from the body, then down to the ground. So then they waddle when they walk. This is my professional waddle. Uh, but dinosaurs, legs straight down to hold all that weight, to support that weight for the big ones. Um, and, that, and their hip was structured so that it would do just that. Okay, what about this? Thousands of miles away, thousands of years later, in the early 1400s at Carlisle Cathedral in the north of the UK, I went there with my wife. And I was like, I want to see this for myself because people have told me that there's like these sauropod dinosaur look-alikes carved in brass hundreds of years ago in, in the Mid- Middle Ages and um, worn down by foot traffic, by footpath, uh, because they buried their pastors in the aisles, which is kind of weird, but, you know, to each his own. And they would walk on the guy's grave, and finally they covered it with a rug so I couldn't find it. I looked all over the chapel, um, the cathedral, couldn't find it. Finally, my wife said, let's ask the rector. That's what they call the, the guy who keeps you your theology straight, the rector. And so, okay, dear, you do that because you're the sweet talker. Can we look at Bishop Bale's tomb? She doesn't have a southern accent, but I just like it. <laughs> so, so he said, well, yes. And he said, but there are no dinosaurs. That's what he said. Yes, sir, okay. But he removed the rug and watched us appreciate the carving, and we took pictures. Well, you see an eel, you see a fox, you see a pheasant, normal animals, and then there's this. Necks intertwined, legs go straight down, long tails, long necks. Now, the one on the left has tail spikes. Do we know of a sauropod dinosaur from the fossils that has any tail spikes? Oh, yeah, it was found in 1990s and one of them is called Shunosaurus, found in China. Another one is found in, in Africa. How many tail spikes do they have, the ones from the fossils? Four. We have four here, four there. We have an anatomical match between what these guys were carving and what we find in the fossils. You, you solve it. I've, I have a solution. You solve it for yourself. Maybe these things were alive after the flood for a time. Okay, that's a possible solution. We should consider and not just dismiss. Uh, based on this evidence, we should consider it. What about the Narmer Palette? Necks intertwined as though they're recording not just anatomy, but also possibly behavior. And then we have the, in the Blois Valley, B-L-O-I-S in France. It used to be swampy for millennia. And then um, some king decided in the 1700s to drain the swamps, make the valley habitable and there went this swampy habitat, which once kept these kinds of creatures. But here's a depiction of the swamp creatures that may have once been alive. And it shows regular animals, but then there's this guy with scales, which I don't think that matches anything I know from fossils. But the little guy on the right, it, it's, a, it's a really what we'd expect to see from a myasaura, Hundreds of which, actually thousands, were deposited in one mass grave in South Dakota catastrophically. Okay, what about uh, the Nile mosaic of Palestrina? Palestrina is in Italy. mosaic is using little tiles to make a picture. It's a picture of what's happening in the Nile, the other side, the south side of the Mediterranean, where the Nile empties into the Mediterranean Sea as it flows northward out of Africa. And so those people, this is like a floor of a little shrine, and this was made about 100 years before Jesus was around, And we've got all these little scenes on this beautiful piece of ancient art. One scene shows the natives being restless and this animal sort of uh, near a cave entrance. Well, what was this animal? Um, And so the Greek letters are there. This is their name for it from a couple thousand years ago. And it's got the word crocodile in it and leopard in it. So it's a crocodile-like leopard. Well, you know, there's a whole class of animals that we know from fossils called mammal-like reptiles. They're all extinct also along with the dinosaurs gone. Um, what happened to them? Maybe they, like the dinosaurs, were alive for some time after the flood and they went extinct for various reasons. Maybe for the same reasons that animals go extinct today. When we move in, we make the place habitable and we remove the threats so that these creatures don't eat our babies. Well, this doesn't look like a dinosaur, it looks like a dinosaur-like, I mean a mammal-like reptile. They weren't mammals, they weren't reptiles. There's a whole class of animals that were mammal-like reptiles. One of them is called Gorgonopsid. It had these giant tusks, just like you see here. So skeptics say that couldn't be because dinosaurs died 67 million, 65 million years ago, 66, the number changes. And um, because they died that long ago, these people could not have been drawing them. But you see, that's just circular reasoning. You're, You're drawing your conclusion before you even start the investigation. So let's examine these evidence and maybe it matches gorgonopsis. So what is it if it's not, you know, something that's extinct? Well, it must be, they say, a crocodile. Except that on the same tile, they have crocodiles. And they look just like crocodiles. You can see there. Okay? A couple more um, of clashes with dragons. This is from Cambodia. And it's a temple pillar in the jungle. And it's got, a, you can see a water buffalo at the top there. There's a parrot above that. And then there's this creature here with the big, the big plates on its back. Wow. It looks, it looks to some people like a dinosaur that we know um, as, well, I don't know, what would you call it if you were looking at it? Some people are saying Stegosaurus. Interesting. Why would they know that anatomy from the Middle Ages, um, hundreds of years ago? Uh, okay, also in the Middle Ages, hundreds of years ago, here we are in Barcelona, and this is a, this is a depiction of the, their famous story of St. George and the Dragon. So it turns out that each of these countries across Europe used a different dragon to depict St. George's dragon. And so each artist had to rely on something and come up with some kind of dragon shape. Well, this artist, for this art, used um, this dragon here, but it turns out that it's the spitting image of a what we call a Triassic layer, extinct, semi-aquatic reptile called Nothosaurus, N-O-T-H. It's a Nothosaurus look-alike. I mean complete with the squatty head and the teeth that went outside the snout, very rare and the the proportions are exactly what we'd expect from the fossil based on the size of the man and the horse. Uh, It's just just a spitting image of Nothosaurus. By the way, in 2011 some researchers from Poland excavated a Nothosaurus fossil and they found blood vessels still inside the bone. So we'll talk about that next, young looking fossils. Well, clashes with dragons suggest to us that these creatures, these, these dinosaurs and other creatures that went extinct, um, they were created day six. They, most of them were buried in the flood. Some of them made it on the ark, perhaps. Some of them lived for a time after the flood, perhaps. And um, if they did, that would give us a new explanation for what God was talking about when he was speaking with Job. Job says... God says this to Job. Look now at Behemoth, which I made along with you. See now, his strength is in his hips. It says that he's the chief of the ways of God. I'm thinking in terms of the biggest land creature God ever made. And we know from fossils that the biggest land creature that ever existed was the sauropod dinosaur. And like the Diplodocus I showed you here at the beginning with the clever design, he could actually pivot on those hips and use his tail as a tripod and lean against that like a third leg he could rear up like this and reach his neck way up, um, uh, tens of feet up into the sky to eat, uh, say, branches off of tree leaves, and without having to walk around and spend energy doing that. So uh, his strength is in his hip, and he moves his tail like a cedar, planting it in the ground like a post. Wow! Um, so uh, I think Job forty fifteen through the following and the rest of the chapter might be talking about a dinosaur that Job knew about and was alive right there in the Middle East, which is today desert. But back then, it talks about the reeds and the marsh and the swamp and the wetlands, which is what it was during the Ice Age. Did you know there was really an Ice Age? So here we are, Job in the Ice Age uh, with a a, uh, creature that may have gone extinct since the Ice Age waned uh, thousands of years ago now. Do you want to learn more about the Ice Age? We have books. <laughs> Buy the books. We have a website, too. All the stuff is free. Okay, fourth out of five, collagen decay. And this is what I research. So we look. I'm looking at proteins still inside the bone, part of the bone. So we dissolve the mineral part of the bone away uh, with special chemicals, and then we reveal these blood vessels, these connective tissues. This was published in the Journal Science of 2005 from this T-Rex. Actually, it was from the femur, femur, that's the thigh bone. Um, By the way, I took a picture of this skull because I was like, I know this skull. This goes with the femur that they found the blood vessels in. And I got super excited. I took pictures and I said, look, everybody. And they just backed away for some reason. People, these People. So, uh, so the, 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 the mainstream community said, no way that's from a dinosaur because tissues don't last even a million years. Tissues do chemistry. Chemistry happens. They fall apart. They decay. So the team said, you know what? Let's get more people on our team. Let's use a different lab. We'll go to a different country, get a different rock layer and a different dinosaur. So they did. And they went to a, say it after me, Brachylophosaurus. Yeah, you didn't know you'd be challenged today. Thank you for participating, those who did. I know some of you are like, I ain't even going to (laughs) try. Fine. But I'm going to keep trying here. So brachylophus it's just a duck-built dinosaur, 40 feet long. You could walk underneath its front legs, and, um, and your head wouldn't even brush its belly. Anyway, and they opened up its femur, dissolved some of that away, and they published these results, finding bone cells, branching blood vessels with little red blood cells still inside the blood vessels, and, uh, and they sequenced the protein. Now that's the gold standard of protein identification is protein sequencing, and they found collagen protein. That's what makes up your skin and your blood vessels is collagen protein. They found it in this dinosaur, published it in 2009 in the journal Science. What about this one, Mosasaur, excavated from Kansas. And, the, and, and I was reading the paper, and it was technical and, you know, sciencey. and they were saying, well, we found skin scales that had stuck down onto the bones, and we found little purple bits. We figured that's the retina from its eyeball because it wasn't purple anywhere else. And then we found this red patch in its, in its uh, rib cage, and we said, why is it red here? They looked for iron. Maybe there's a magnet that pulled in iron filings, and they found no magnetism and no iron uh, to speak of. But then they, just, they tested for hemoglobin, and they found hemoglobin, decay fragments of the protein hemoglobin still in this 90-million-year-old age assignment. Can't possibly be that old with proteins still in it. So imagine my shock and delight when I saw it by accident, by God's providence, on display at the L.A. County Museum of Natural History, the same fossil specimen. And there I'm pointing to it. I'm saying, look, it's still bloody hard. It's right here. Took my picture. I said, look, everybody. And everyone backed away. Come on, people. The bloody heart in a fossil. Wow. I wanted to show this one to you because it's just another example of blood vessels in fossils, Uh, but this one was published way back in 2022. Modern crocodile, they're doing the same microscopy on that as they are with the fossil crocodile, which they've named Thoracosaurus, finding bone cells and uh, branching blood vessels. I'd like to show you really quick some of my research uh, that I've done looking with a special microscope technique called cross-polarized light microscopy, looking at dinosaur bone that has been polished thin, shining the light through it, and wherever it turns from gold to blue or back from blue to gold, something in the bone is twisting the light to make it do that. It's called birefringence, and the only way to do it that I know of, the way it does it in fresh bone is collagen. But the parts that, does my mouth show up? This purple blob here, no collagen left. Purple blob here, no collagen left. These little dots like this one, these are called uh, lacunae. This is typical bone structure. This crack right here, this lets you know that you're looking at fossil bone. It's old and cracked, but it still has collagen all wrapping around. This hole here um, is another typical bone uh, structure. And that's where a blood vessel was, was, was once penetrating through that little hole called an osteon. Isn't this exciting? Wow. B- uh, 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 collagen embedded still in the bone. These bones look fresh. They look freshly recently deposited, just like we'd expect if it was a recent flood and a recent creation on a recent earth. Not millions, maybe thousands. Jesus indicated this because he said in Mark ten six and 7 to the Pharisees, but billions of years after the Big Bang beginning, God made the male and female. No, he didn't say that at all. He said, from the beginning of creation, right there, creation week, God made them male and female. Day six. Remember, what did God say to Job? Behold, behemoth, which I made along with you, you people, on day six, same day. Jesus was recent creation. He he took Genesis straightforwardly. He even quotes directly from Genesis chapter one, male and female. Then he quotes directly from Genesis chapter two, and the two shall be one flesh quoting as though it's actual history, and he's basing his his teaching on marriage on the history of what happened. Guys, Genesis is not a myth. It's actual history. And I'm saying that we have all these scientific evidences that are piling up, and they're telling us the same thing. Rapid, catastrophic burial, recent, fresh-looking fossils. Finally, we have carbon decay, thinking about... Uh, radiocarbon, actually, radiocarbon, Uh, which doesn't last any longer than 100,000 years in theory. So if we find radiocarbon in a fossil or in anything that has carbon in it, it's younger than 100,000 years, basically. So we found it in this block-shaped, told you I would show it to you, dinosaur vertebra, and we found it in a brow horn core from the Triceratops, we found it in Um, a a fragment of a leg bone from this apatosaurus. And I didn't think we'd find any because it's dark. See how dark it is? That's the actual bone. It's darkly colored because it's darkly stained because the minerals in the surrounding sediment have lots of manganese and magnesium in the minerals, and that leaves a dark stain. So that means it's been replaced, at least partly, by minerals that have precipitated or come out of solution inside the bone. And... um, So I thought, we'll send it off to the lab and see what they say anyways. And um, that we didn't tell them it was a dinosaur bone, not because we're trying to lie or be disingenuous, because if we did tell them what we were doing, they would send it right back, uh, which they've done to us already. And uh, so we just said, this is an unidentified bone, and we don't know where it came from. Just give us some data. Whatever the machine says, we'll take it. And so it said, yeah, you have radiocarbon still inside this bone, and it looks like it's burnt. They called it a burnt... uh, they assumed it was a burnt um, cow bone. No, <laughs> it's a dinosaur bone. So uh, uh, we found some in Stegosaurus, and oh, say this one, Psittacosaurus. Psittacosaurus. Starts with the letter P, so I like that. We fa- and So we thought, maybe this is just a phenomenon from the American West. So we got a Chinese fossil, sent a bit of it to the lab, it came back, yes, you have radiocarbon still in your Psittacosaurus. We even found it in, um, not just us, but published in all kinds of secular journals, they're looking for machine blanks to use as standards for their radioisotope dating devices, which are called um, accelerator mass spectrometers. Now, isn't that impressive? Does that edify you any? (laughs) Well, this should. This coal is supposed to be 200-plus million years old, and yet it's got radiocarbon still in the coal as though it's fewer than a thousand years old. I think the coal formed in Noah's flood. And I think the fact that it has radiocarbon in it supports that whole idea. What about diamonds? They're supposed to be a billion years old. Found radiocarbon in diamonds. And there it is. There's a publication. You can look it up. So all these five dinosaur details support this one final conclusion. Jesus saying this to the Pharisees, For if you believed Moses... Now, which books of the Bible is Moses responsible for? The Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That includes Genesis. He's the the big chief editor. The Holy Spirit said, these are the books. So these are the books of the Bible. And God gave it to him, so he gives it to us, and we pass this down one generation to the next. These are God's words to us. If you Pharisees believe Moses, you would believe me. For Moses wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings how will you believe my words and we live in a culture today where we do not believe moses's writings we scoff at genesis so no wonder it's so difficult to share the gospel no wonder it's so difficult for us to even as gentiles as pagans in our culture to understand the gospel you're telling me about sin what is sin And when I was early in my Christianity, I had no confidence in my own faith. I had no confidence because I thought that science refuted the Bible. And when people would say, what is sin? I would say, well, sin is like when you violate God's law. Well, when did that start? Well, it started in the Garden of Eden, which didn't exist. And it started with Adam, who didn't exist. See you later. And I was embarrassed because I had no confidence in my own Bible but then i had to study and study and i had i answered this question and that question and the next question and i was like oh the bible's right here the bible's right there science supports it so now when people say what's sin let me tell you what sin is it started in the garden the garden was a real place and we can back it up and there's science to support it and we can we can talk about these things and equip ourselves to be able to have conversations about let's say dinosaurs guide to dinosaurs if you like today's presentation we have it on DVD with Dinosaurs and Man. I wrote this booklet, Dinosaurs in the Bible, had that available today. Wrote it for my dad. And uh, so if you want a short read like I do, I want the short books, this one. And I had a lady come, and it was such a blessing to come uh, um, after an event that I shared this, and she, she said, I found your book, Dinosaurs in the Bible, at the grocery store checkout. And I bought it and read it, and it changed the whole way I think. Thank you so much. And she wanted to get a picture. So I said, I'm not taking a pi- Come on, in here, let's take a picture. So it was a blessing. So you write these things and you send them out and you hope that they do what the Lord wants to do with them. And he, when he does, it's a real blessing. There's the dinosaurs, uh, in, uh, the kids, dinosaurs for kids, science for kids, dinosaurs, the green one. We've had, we've had parents and teachers come up to us and say, I just started reading this to my kid. I had no idea. See, this is our surreptitious way to teach parents. By reading this to their kids, they're learning basics of creation. Speaking of which, Creation, Basics, and Beyond is, I think this is the book you have to have before you go to college, or if you're in college, or even high school. This is the one, if you've got questions about the Ice Age, or about um, all these other issues. What about the gap theory? Where did Cain get his wife? We talk about these questions in uh, 52 questions answered by our PhDs in Creation Basics and Beyond. Of course, we have Guide to Creation Basics, if you want the color version. All these things just to, um, and of course, our free uh, magazine comes out, uh, eight issues. What are we doing here? Every time you get the issue, every time you get a book, every time you look at our website and look at our articles,